Hey, good morning, everyone. Man, didn't our band sound good today? Phil, those vocal lessons I've been giving you are starting to pay off. So you're welcome for that. That's actually a joke. Hey, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Um, I do see a few Trailblazer jerseys out there. I think we're pretty excited. My oldest daughter got to go to the game the other night, and I was so jealous. And this is what she said when she got home. Daddy was so long. <laughs> yeah, it was. Kind of fun. Hey, uh, my name's Adam. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm just excited to be with you, um, to be opening scripture. We get to do this, this awesome and amazing thing as a community to come together and to open scripture and to worship. And whether you've been doing this your whole life and this feels completely normal, or this is your first day and this doesn't feel normal at all, you're welcome. You're part of what's happening, and uh, we're excited that you're here. And what we're doing here this morning isn't completely unique to us. This morning, it's happening all over our city. Today, it's, it's happening all over our nation and, and around the world, and it's, it's actually been happening for a long time. This church, this community, this thing that we get to be a part of has, has pretty ancient roots. Some 2,000 years ago is when it started. And today, um, we're going to be looking at the first church, the first time that, that, that people gathered around the teachings and the life of Jesus and became a community centered around him. Um, we're in a, a teaching series called The Story, and if, if you've been around, maybe you've heard, but it's, but it's a, a season where we're looking at this story, this, this amazing story that, that God has given us. And for some of us, the hope is that we're rediscovering truths and rediscovering who Jesus is in new ways. And and, and there's also a hope and expectation that some of us are, are maybe discovering for the first time the life that's in this story. And there's a reading plan that goes along uh, with the, the weekend teachings. And if, if you've been come, going along with that, that's exciting and great. If you want to jump in, just jump in wherever. You don't have to start from the beginning. Uh, but there are bookmarks out in the lobby um, that you can grab. And they have the daily reading plan on there. And uh, you can jump in with what we're doing. But today, as we look at this story, we're going to be looking at the story, the first church, people who actually walked with Jesus in the flesh, who heard his words, who saw his miracles, and then became his church. And as we look at them, I, I want us to glean what we can from them, how it informs us 2,000 years later as we're still the church of Jesus, centered around who he is and his teaching. So if you have a Bible, um, turn to the book of Acts. It's in the New Testament. Um, if you don't have a Bible, no worries. There are Bibles in the shelves and the wings. Um, if you don't have one at all, just feel free to take it with you. We're also going to have the text up on the screen here behind me. Um, and as you're turning to the book of Acts, I'll, I'll kind of catch you up to where we are in the story. Uh, the book of Acts begins with the ascension of Jesus. And if you were here last week, John Chang taught, just did a dynamite job on teaching through the ascension of Jesus. But, but Jesus goes, um, faces the cross, is put to death, is in the grave three days, raised to life, and, and is here on the earth physically for some 40 days. And then at the end of that, in the, in the book of Acts, he is ascending back into heaven, and he tells his disciples to wait, that, that the promised Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's going to come empower them. This is what he promised in John 14, that, that he's going to go to the Father, but he's sending the Holy Spirit, the helper, the advocate, the one who empowers us. 
And so his disciples, after he ascends, they go and, and there's 120 of them and they're gathered in someone's upper room and they're waiting. They're in Jerusalem. They have full uh, of, of faith and full of expectation and they're, they're just waiting. And, and on the day of Pentecost, this wild, amazing thing happens. And the Bible tells us in Acts 2 that the Holy Spirit comes like a mighty rushing wind into this upper room. And in Acts 2, it says that, that these people, these 120 Jesus disciples, have what looks like tongues of fire on the head. I, I don't even know what that looks like. It's, it's unfathomable to me. And they begin to speak languages that are not their own. And, and, and it is such a wild scene that people who are outside the upper room, who, who are in the city, who can hear what's going on, they, they think it's a party. It's in the morning hours, and, and the assumption is, oh, this, this is a big party. These guys are day drinking. They're, they're, they're having a good time in there. And, and it's fascinating to me that, that one of the first worship gatherings of this new church resembled a, a fraternity party more than this real somber, uh, you know, dedicated thing. And, and, and so this is going on, and there's this wild scene. And then it says in Acts 2 that, that Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, full of the Holy Spirit, he steps forward, and he says to these people who are listening, who are not drunk, as you suppose, and he begins to tell them about the message of Jesus. He begins to tell them about the gospel of Jesus, and he calls them to repentance. And it says that after he had called them to repentance, some 3,000 people believed in Jesus and were baptized, and the church is born. So this is where we're going to pick up this church, this community of people representing and worshiping and following Jesus, this community who has been empowered by the Holy Spirit and are taking on the mission of Jesus is born. So turn with me to Acts 2. Uh, we're going to start in verse 42. <clears throat> and it says this. They, speaking about the 120 and these people who have just come to faith, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wow. Right? Wow. What an amazing picture. What an amazing moment, this, this New Testament church, these people who are coming together and, 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 and listen to, to some of the things that are happening here. There, there are people of devotion, people whose lives have been radically transformed. And as they step into this community, they're devoted to what this community is about, this teaching of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. God is moving powerfully. Signs and wonders are happening. It says that everyone is just in awe. This thing is so amazing that, that, that people's response is just to be in awe, to be shocked by what's happening. There's radical gen generosity that's eliminating need. There's shared life. There's shared mission. They're meeting uh, in the synagogues. They're meeting in homes. They're, they're, they're breaking bread with one another. They're sharing their lives. There's, there's unity. There's authenticity. There's worship. There's growth. What a beautiful picture, Right? I mean, I, I've spent a lot of time around um, church planters, people who, who feel God leading them to start new churches, and they all love this text. 
I think it's required that they get it tattooed on their body at some point in the church planning experience because it's such a great picture of the body of Christ to look at and to say, wow, man, look at what is happening. Look at how beautiful this is. And I think it's really encapsulated in the last two verses. If we could put those back up. It says this in 46. Every day, radically changed. Not just once a week, but every day they're engaged in this community. Every day they continue to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, experiencing unity with one another, enjoying each other's company, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Everyone likes them. Man, they like each other. Everyone likes them. Things are going so well. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved and they lived happily ever after. Is that not in yours? Oh, unfortunately, it's, it's actually not in my Bible either. They didn't live happily ever after. As beautiful as this picture is, we know that behind this picture are people who are broken, who are flawed, who have baggage, who have issues, who hurt one another. Behind this picture is, is, is humanity. Now, I'm a, I'm a kid of the 80s. Um, I was born in 81. And one of the things that I remember from the 80s is the family portraits. You guys, and maybe these still happen, but I think social media has kind of eliminated it a little bit. But, but I remember these. In fact, we had these hanging on our wall. Every year, we'd go to JCPenney's. We'd get all dressed up, color-coordinated. And I remember this one where we're all in blue, and I'm a little guy, and for some reason, I'm wearing a Navy suit. I don't know why. No one in my family's in the Navy, but, but we're, we're in this, this family portrait, and if you look at it, it's perfect. Our clothes are clean and pressed. We're all smiling. We're all happy, and, I, and, and, and this is the idea of the family portrait, right? In my family, we, uh, we, we don't do this as a family, but we, we took pictures of our girls. And, and I have this one very specific memory of my youngest. And, and I got a picture of her. Yes, that's, that's my Allie. Um, she, that's my oldest, I'm sorry. She is one in this photo. She is 13 now, and this just breaks my heart to look at. I remember this day. We, we were in New Mexico, and we took her to Sears to get her photos taken. And as cute as this photo is, it does not represent the day whatsoever. We had to take the clothes that she's wearing separate because we knew that in the car ride from the house to, to Sears, she would mess them up. She had this amazing ability. And, and while we were there, she was crawling all over the place and she was a mess. She was a very hyper kid. My, my family very affectionately called her Crack Alley, which I don't know if that's nice, but but you get what I'm saying. This is a portrait. It's a moment of who she is, and she is beautiful, and I love her, but that's not the full extent of who she is. There's a whole life behind that portrait. This picture that we read in Acts 2 is a beautiful portrait. It's a beautiful portrait of the church. But beyond that portrait, there's real life. There's mess. There's highs and lows there's victory, defeat, there's breakthrough, there's friendships, there's brokenness. It's all there. As we read through, through scriptures, we, we, we read fighting in the New Testament church over traditions and preferences and, and, and customs and, and way things that, be, that, that, that they should be. 
Beyond Acts, from, from Romans all the way to the book of Revelation, there are these letters called epistles that are written to churches, and they're written to the churches to teach them how to be the church, how to get along, and, and they are very encouraging, and, and they teach great theology, but, but they're also corrective, because along with fighting, there's division, division over race and belief and economics and theology, and there's there's leadership strife that's happening. And, and so we read this beautiful picture in Acts 2, this portrait. But then we have to hold that with, with other texts that we read. Let, let me read you a few of these. Okay, this, this first one's from Paul. I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Wow, Paul, ouch. Oh, here's another one from him. I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Ouch, that's written to a church. Here's one in Hebrews. By, the, by the, this time, you ought to be teachers. You still need someone to teach you the element, elementary truths of God's word all over again. Man, so, so we see. We have this portrait that is beautiful of the church, of the kingdom of God, yet it involves broken people. This church of Jesus that is an inspired, a godly inspired institution that is populated by humans, by people like you and me, who don't step into it with our perfection, but step into it in our brokenness. We bring our mess with us. And so as we think about the church as a portrait, and, and maybe to some of you, the church looks like that perfect portrait. Everyone's got their stuff together, Everyone's smiling. Everyone's happy. They seem to be all getting along. And, and, and you might look at that portrait and think, I don't belong. Man, I, my life's a mess. Man, my, my, my life, I got, I got baggage and messed up things and, and, and pain and scars. And, and I look at this portrait of the church and, and I just don't know if I belong or, or if I step into it. I, I have to wear the part and dress the part. And and, and, and I think about this in terms of, 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 of Facebook sometimes. When, when I go onto my social media, everyone's living their best life. And I think, man, what, what am I doing with my life? There, 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 there's such this, this, this look of success and getting along and having so much fun. And, oh, look, at they're going on another vacation. And, and what am I doing? And for some, you might look at the church and, and see that and feel that. You might feel that this morning. That if the people in this room really knew who I was, they'd probably throw me out of the back. And to you, I extend this invitation. The church is made of broken people, of God moving powerfully through the message of his son through broken people. And there is no expectation that we come wearing our perfection, that we come in authenticity, that we come with a genuine sense of who we are. And for some of us, for some of us, we might look at the portrait and, and we might see right through it. To the brokenness. We might see the hurt, things that happen, things that go on in church, especially if you've grown up in a church. I guarantee you have stories of so-and-so who did this and so-and-so who did that, and then we found out about this. That, that, that these things are, are what you see when you look at the portrait of the church. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I, I don't want to go to the church. I, I, I believe in Jesus. I like the idea of God. I'll, I'll read the Bible sometimes, but I don't want to go to the church. It's just messed up, broken people, um, and, and they're hypocritical. And I always want to say, yeah, and you're going to fit right in. I always stop myself. I think it. But, but that's true. 
The church is made of broken people who desperately need to be saved. That's good news for you and for me. This picture of the church, this institution that is ordained by God and and, and in his perfection, it's ordained by him and his plan, and yet it's populated by broken people in need of a savior, in need of authentic and genuine community. This last uh, Sunday night here in Mosaic in this room, we, we, got to, um, we got to go through something that was pretty unique and pretty special uh, called the a journey wall. It, anyone here that was a part of that on, on Sunday night? Yeah, there were quite a few. I think there was over 100 people in here. And, and the idea of a journey wall was um, we completely cleared the stage and we hung paper kind of from wall to wall in the backstage and we did a timeline of the life of Mosaic starting at 2000. Um, all the way up through 2019. And, and I think we actually have a photo of it. There it is. Um, from 2000 to 2019, and all of us got to interact and, and be part of it. And uh, we, we broke our timeline up into chapters. You know, when we were planted and, and seasons where we were planting lots of churches and, and things that were happening. And then we got to interact with it, um, the people who were here. And, and you'll see some of the different colored notepads that are up there. Um, the little round white ones um, were, were, were we got to go up there and say, hey, this is, this is where we joined the story. This is where we joined the journey and, and write an individual name or a family name and, and go up there and, and, and place it on there. And then um, we got a chance to share our, our experiences that had happened, both good and bad. And so you see colored stickies up there, those green stickies that, that represent God doing something amazing, an event that happened here because we are part of this community that we're celebrating. And, and then we had pink stickies, things that were maybe difficult or hard, things that we experienced here that, that maybe we weren't celebrating or that were hard to endure. And for an example, my, my green sticky, one of my green stickies up there says, I, I got to baptize Madison, my middle daughter right here in this church family. And I celebrate that as, as part of our story here at Mosaic, not just unique to my family, because you guys are a part of that. There are people here who have helped shape and disciple Madison. I, I know one very specific one named Denise sitting right here, who is her Sunday school teacher. And in, in the mornings, she goes down there and, and is discipling her. And I can't tell you how many times, Denise, we drive home. And she tells us about what you guys talked about. And it's, it's opening her heart and her mind. And so I, I wrote that on there, that this is something our community gets to celebrate that I'm celebrating is I got to baptize my middle daughter as she said, I want to follow Jesus with my life. And I, I had pink stickies that I put up there. I put, you know, folding in and closing Mosaic North, that that, that was a hard thing for our community, that it was painful and it was difficult. And, and so you see a picture with, that there's good, that there's bad, that there's new people coming along. And, and I think, uh, Mary, we have another photo that has the, the entire, yeah, the entire piece. One of the things that I walked away from this, looking at the chapters, looking at what is exciting and, and, and what's been difficult is all along the bottom and, and scattered up throughout the top little bit, or the orange stickies, which represent what God has been doing in our community, the breakthrough and his grace. And I marveled at this and I was kind of blown away because throughout the good and the bad, God is at work. That's a picture of the church. Yes, it's messy, it's broken, it involves humans and they bring all of their baggage and yet God is at work through us, through our story, through his church. 
It's both messy and it's beautiful. And so Acts 2, this, this New Testament church, it gives us a description of the church. It, it gives us something to look at, something to aim at, something to strive for and, and to say, yes, that's, that's what we want, devotion, radical generosity. We are moving towards those things, and, and it's descriptive. But I want to look at another story that we read in Corinthians that is a little more prescriptive. Sometimes I, I tend to look at Scripture to those, through those two lens. Uh, things that are descriptive, stories that are told, like the, the creation account, this is what happened, and, and then prescriptive, where we're invited into a belief or a behavior, like, like, like the Ten Commandments are prescriptive, God is prescribing something. And so let's look at this passage in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, if you have your Bible, flip with me there. We're going to start in verse 12. Um, the city of Corinth is in uh, modern day Greece. And it's a port city, and because it's a port city, and I'm, I'm sure this has been said here before, but it's worth re-mentioning, because it's a port city, it has people from around the world who live there. It's a trade city. So there are many customs, many religions, many worldviews, many ways of doing things. And so you can imagine that having community is a little bit more difficult there. You can imagine that in a place like that, people want to just kind of cling to their own. What makes sense to them? What requires the least sacrifice? What's the easiest way of communicating? You can imagine people just want to kind of huddle with their own. But that's not a picture of the church of Jesus, right? It's not a picture. And, and so Paul is teaching this church in, in uh, Corinth what it means to be the church. And I'm going to start here in, in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Paul says this, just as one body, though one has many parts, but all its parts are from one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made, is made, is not made up of one part, but is many. So Paul starts... And, and, and he chooses an analogy for this church in Corinth, this, this wildly diverse church of people from all over. And, and the analogy he chooses is kind of mind-blowing to me. He could have said, you, you guys are a team, right? This is Greece. This is the birthplace of the Olympics. They would have understood this. We're a team. Uh, we got to band together if we want to win, if we want to do something. He could have said, you're, you're like an army. You're, you know, the, the Roman soldiers were everywhere. That would have made sense. But he, he chooses probably the most connected intimate analogy possible. Uh, you're a body. And I, I can't separate from parts of my body. I, I can't be more connected than my body is. This is the analogy that Paul chooses to describe the church, the body of Christ. He says, you're, you're like a body. And in fact, if, if, if a part of my body is removed from the rest of my body, it's fairly traumatic, Right? It's not as though my hand just falls off randomly. It just goes away and does its own thing. It's, it, it's a traumatic thing. Paul is telling us we are united. It's not a mild opt-in. It's not a mild outcome sometimes. We are a body. We are completely united. He continues in verse 15, talking about the body. Now, if the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, start, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, 
where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But, in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So he goes another step into this analogy, and he says, yes, you are one body, but you're completely distinct in your gifting, in your personality, your perspectives, and what you contribute. My foot contributes something very different than my hand to this body. My ears contribute something very different than my nose and my mouth to this body. He's saying you are completely diverse, and yet you are still connected and unified. We are distinct, and yet we are a body. I, um, I was watching YouTube videos and went down this deep rabbit hole. I, don't, I just had some time to kill. And I was watching um, pole vaulters, you know, run. I don't know who invented that sport. It's a really bizarre sport. But as I began to watch them, and, and kind of at the Olympic level, the height at which they would fly, and they would go and, 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 and run and pace it just right, and that bar would just look like it's going to break and then fling them over. And, and the impression I got is they are in complete control of their body. Like half their body can't do that. Three quarters of their body can't do that. To be that coordinated, they are in control of, of every part of their body as they are flying over a pole for no apparent reason. And yet we read, we read in Colossians 1 that, that Christ is the head of the church and we are his body. And to the extent that we are willing to submit to his leadership within community, we experience this coordination as a church body. To the extent that we are willing to submit and to surrender to the head of the church, which is Christ, we experience a coordinated effort, a unified effort as a church body. And, and, and our diversity doesn't become what pushes us apart. It becomes what makes us stronger and more unique. C.S. Lewis says this, for the church is not a human society of people united by their natural affinities. It's not a bunch of people in the club who like the same things and like to do the same things, but it's the body of Christ in which all members, however different, and he adds this, and he rejoices in their difference and by no means wishes to iron them out, must share the common life, complementing and helping one another precisely by their differences. He says this, this body is completely different and it's supposed to be. That's a picture of the body of Christ, of his, uh, of his creation forming community around the person and teaching of Jesus. We are uniquely different, and yet we are connected as a body. Paul continues in verse 26. He says, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. We are united, we are distinct, and we are called. We are united, we're distinct in our giftings, and we're called to the mission of Jesus. This is a picture of the body of Christ, a picture 
of his church, united and distinct and called on mission. So how do, how do we lead ourselves? What's our posture in the body? Because I'll tell you this, it's, it's not supernatural and super easy. It's, it's actually easier not. It's actually easier to stay kind of separate and, and, and leaned out. Community is a bit risky. Community with, with other people um, sets you up for some pink stickies at some point in your life. It's not automatic. It's, it's very intentional. It's selfless. So what's, what's the posture of our heart here in our church family, in this body? I think we find it in this next chapter. Paul is teaching, he's writing this through um, 1 Corinthians 12, and, and then he goes into to 1 Corinthians 13. And, and the bridge between these two, him describing the church as a body and describing how we're unified and, and how we're distinct, and, and the bridge between these two is he says this, and yet, I'll show you the most excellent way. He says in 13.1, if I speak in tongues of men or in angels but have not love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all the knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and give over my body to the hardships that I, that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. So he, he starts by saying, listen, if if we have tongues of men and of angels and gifts of prophecy and knowledge, these, these abstract ideas from the New Testament church in Acts 2, which, which was moving powerfully in awe, he says, if we have all those things, but we don't have love, it, it's all for nothing. And this love that he is talking about isn't the overwhelming and overflowing affection that we might have for one another. That's, that's one of the ways that love is described. It's one of the ways that our world understands love. But the love that he is describing here comes from 1 John 4, where it says God is love. And so we define love by what God is instead of defining God by what we think love is. God is love. And so this acts of love is demonstrations of godliness towards one another. And as I continue reading, your, your mind's going to want to drift to a wedding ceremony somewhere where someone's reading their vows and, and reading these beautiful words, and, and it, it's great, it's romantic, it, it, it kind of fits there, but, but it was actually written in the context of community, the glue at which holds you and I together, the posture of our hearts towards one another in the body of Christ, these acts and demonstrations of godliness expressed as love, and it says this, love is patient. Love is kind, does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is written to teach you and I how to be the church, how to be in community with one another. So as you hear these words, as you hear this, this posture of heart that we read in 1 Corinthians 13, I want to encourage you and challenge you to take a step further into this community, into the body of Christ. For some, we'd say, man, I... I I need support. I need grace 
from, from, from my community. And, and, and I would challenge you to say, great, support and be the grace equal to or greater than what, what you need. To share life with one another. To be centered around the teaching and the, the, the person of Jesus and to be on his mission because, guys, we, we got work to do. In our city and around this world, we, we have a calling and we have work to do. First, First Corinthians 13 tells us that, that this kind of love is demonstrations of godliness. I can think of no greater demonstration of godliness, of his love and his character, than, than the table. Of what he has extended, how he has extended his love for us so that we can be part of his family, that we can be in his family portrait, that we can call him Father, Abba Father. This morning, we're going to continue in our worship, and I want to invite our band to come forward. And, and as you come to this table, realizing that this table is the thing that has given you access to God's family, it's the means by which he has adopted you, and he calls you his son and his daughter. I want to invite you to come with hearts of worship, contemplating, asking his spirit, what does it mean for me to be a part of this community? How do I posture my heart? How do I lead in this community? Father, I thank you for your, your words. I thank you that they shape us, they challenge us, they encourage us. Um, I pray that as we continue our worship and as we, we go from this place, um, that we, we remember we're, we're on your family portrait. And uh, yeah, our, we bring our humanity and our mess, but you're big enough. Your grace is sufficient. You're good enough. And so that we are not people who are, are stuck and left in our mess, but we are people of hope transformed by you. And we thank you for this day, Lord, in your name. Amen.